Let us pray. All-seeing and all-knowing God, speak to our hearts this morning and draw us closer to you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray and for the sake of your kingdom. Amen. Well, what a joy to have a baptism this morning, and it's lovely uh, to have Reuben welcomed into the church, belonging to the church. But as I look across the road, I don't think, what a joy. As I look towards Parliament, I think, what a mess. Just when we think things can't get any worse, we're hit with even more challenges as a nation, but also as a world. Lord, have mercy. And who knows who will be our Prime Minister next week or who will be in the Cabinet? And one thing's for sure, the markets don't like all the uncertainty and we'll all be affected by it, but it's the poorest in our society that will suffer the most. And it's not surprising that people are, are not happy Critical and cynical voices are being raised, expressing a loss of trust in our politicians. But before we add our voices to those voices, Jesus' parable in Luke 18 should challenge us, especially when we find ourselves saying, I'm glad I'm not like that prime minister, or I'm glad I'm not like this politician or that politician. It might make us feel good, but it's all too easy to be self-righteous. And it doesn't take into account our own weaknesses, frailties, and past mistakes. Jesus' poignant parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector would have shocked those who initially heard it, especially with the sting at the tail that comes at the end of that parable. The Pharisee, you see, wasn't a wicked man. He would have been holy, religious, prayerful, and articulate as well. The trouble was he was too confident, self-righteous, and judgmental too. The tax collector, on the other hand, was a very dubious reputation, probably dishonest and most likely to be greedy as well. Yet at least he knew who he was. And that led him to being an outcast and living on the margins of society. The dynamite at the end of this parable was that the Pharisee is portrayed as the one who's dishonest before God. And the tax collector is the one who's honest in the way that he approaches his maker. And again, it's too easy for us to be familiar with the punchline at the end of this story. And we can find ourselves saying, I'm glad I'm not like that Pharisee. But this story isn't about comparisons. Rather, it challenges whether we're righteous or not. And righteous means in a right relationship with God. And one of the things that we're praying as we pray for Reuben as he grows up is he will learn with the support of his parents how to be in a right relationship with God. It's very important. But there is a danger that we who are religious turn a blind eye to our sin 
And if we're not careful, we can become self-reliant rather than totally dependent on God's grace. So I want to ask us this question. Are we being honest with ourselves and transparent before a holy God, before whom we can't hide a thing? Do we really spend time with the Lord, enough for him to look us in the eye and for us to feel the gaze or his gaze penetrate our very soul? Faith should give us the capacity to be in God's presence despite our failures, despite our limitations, and despite our shame. And one thing's clear throughout the Bible is that our ever-patient, living God longs for us to turn towards his love and to lean on his grace and mercy, allowing the Spirit to forgive, heal, and restore our relationship with him. And of course, a baptism is all about turning towards God's love. Before we know anything of it, he is there, but we turn towards his love. We pray one day that will be true for Reuben, that he will turn towards God's love, turn away from just living our own life and live God's way. And as a community, we need to help each other to do that. And there's that call in the Bible to change direction or to use the word repent. And I believe today, as we look at our world, there's a scarcity of godly, honest humble, compassionate, peace-loving leadership in our world. Do you remember at the Queen's funeral, the Archbishop of Canterbury actually made reference of this, Justin Welby. He said, people of loving service are rare in any form of life, leaders even less so. And I believe he knew what he was saying and when he was saying it. There is an absence in this world that leads to values and stability and a sense of community being eaten away. And this, I think, leads us nicely to our Old Testament lesson. Joel is uh, bringing a prophecy. And to understand Joel's words, we have to read the whole of his book. Well, we couldn't do that this morning, but we only had the, the bit that we read. But it's no good simply cutting to the chase to the good part of the prophet's message, which is what we actually heard. We need to uh, have it in context. And if I give you the context, in short, an army of locusts had previously ravaged Israel, swarming, destroying, stripping Jerusalem bare. And Joel was probably writing about 400 uh, years BC, and he was using this devastating plague experience to introduce his teaching about the day of the Lord, which comes towards the end of Joel, a day of darkness and gloom. But the prophet is also pointing to a time when the Holy Spirit would be outpoured. So let me just uh, deal with the first part of the chapter and the beginning of uh, chapter 2. So chapter 1 and beginning of chapter 2. We see how Joel interprets this uh, ravaging locust swarm that he sees as a warning of God's judgment on Israel and all the nations. Perhaps we see it as a consequence of their actions. 
And so the prophet calls the people to a national day of prayer. A prayer being the right way to get into a right relationship with the Lord. And then we get to the happier part of Joel's message. So there's the plague, a call to prayer, and then the prophet looks to the future. If people respond, be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God. He goes on, he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains, as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain, and the vats will overflow with new wine and oil. Joel is suggesting that when people turn to the Lord with all their hearts, when they repent and fast and pray, full restoration is possible. Israel, in a right relationship with her maker, will know divine blessing. And that blessing will not just be for them, it will be shared, it will be for the whole community and for the world. The years that the locusts had eaten away would be restored to them, it says. And this would be by way of literal provision. In other words, the vats would be overflowing again. But also a spiritual restoration as well, where there will be feasting and thanksgiving. In other words, they could move from the scarcity of their existence under the plague to abundance. And then we get to verse 28. And afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. This is what someone has called the democratizing of God's spirit. In the Old Testament, we understood that the spirit came upon particular people for particular reasons at a particular time. But he looks to a time when the Holy Spirit would fall upon all. And of course, we see this as being fulfilled in Acts of the Apostles. And of course, Peter quoted this very passage uh, explaining the startling events that were happening at Pentecost. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, even on my servants, both men and women, very radical there, I will pour out my spirit in those days. In other words, it was for everyone, regardless of gender, age, uh, what your status was, the Holy Spirit was to be sent for all. And then in verses 30 to 32, Joel goes beyond Pentecost to tell of the great final and dreadful judgment. And he says, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, in Joel's time, the reason he thinks that they were in this plight was they had become self-reliant. He made it clear that it was pride and self-sufficiency that had led to the nation's downfall. I wonder if there could be lessons for us in our generation. We may not be plagued by locusts, but something seems to be eating away at the fabric of our society. First, we had the pandemic. Then we had the escalating war. Then the resulting cost of living crisis. Our government is also unstable, raising concern around the world. I wonder if we can learn something from Joel and the tax collector. Perhaps we need a greater dependence 
on the Lord, to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. For time and time again in the Bible, if you read it through, (laughs) you will find that it's serious, wholehearted repentance and prayer that dispels fear, but also restores God's blessing to his people materially and spiritually, a blessing that is not just for the few, but for the many. It's to be shared. Now, a few weeks ago, I made a a point that there's never been a significant revival in London, in contrast perhaps to Wales and Cornwall and Newcastle and Staffordshire and, and the like. There may be reasons for this because larger numbers dwell in the cities, like Glasgow, Edinburgh, and London. And maybe perhaps when there has been a revival, it's not been quite as noticeable as the parts that are perhaps uh, more thinly spread. We don't know. But I do think I'd be failing you as your minister if I didn't say that perhaps it is time for us to rend our hearts in repentance for being too confident in our own resources and not turning away from those things that wreck God's shalom. We need to be leaning more on the Lord and see what he wants for society. We also need to pray more earnestly and more regularly and share testimony with one another so that we can hear what God is saying to us in these really difficult times. We've started a monthly call to prayer in the church, in the chapel, and it's a start, but it's only a beginning. I think as a church, I want to say to you that we really need to take our praying together seriously to listen to what we need to be doing in response to the things that are happening in these days. Now, some of you will know I've joked about it when uh, people talk about being woken up in the night and things like that. I sleep very well. Um, I tend to put my head on the pillow and I might get up once or twice, but I go straight back to sleep again and I wake up in the morning and I get going. But on Friday night, I dreamt that I was preaching Immediately I got up, it was such a profound experience that I went into my study and wrote down what the Lord had been saying. And this doesn't happen to me, which is why I mention it. And very clearly and coherently, I felt that God was saying something to me through my own preaching in my sleep. That probably doesn't make sense, but it makes sense to me. And I wrote it down. It talks here in this passage about old men dreaming dreams and young men seeing visions. I wonder whether all of us perhaps need to be more attentive to God waking us up in these days to speak to us and whether we're pausing enough to listen. Joel, you see, spoke about the coming of the Holy Spirit, but we know that the disciples had to do something before the Holy Spirit came upon them. Do not leave Jerusalem, Jesus said, but wait for the gift my Father promised. And that waiting on the Lord is so important. And we need to do so, as we read from this passage 
with humility. Humility, not thinking we have the answers. Not just blaming everyone else because it comes very quick for us to do that. I've done it myself, I confess. But actually, sometimes we get the leaders we deserve. How are we praying for those in authority? How are we really interceding for our land? How are we sharing what we have that models the sort of society that we have? For the blessing is to be shared. It's very clear in this passage. And I believe the coming of the Holy Spirit brings about change. Change for us individually, which then goes out and affects the wider world, but also affects the church. And so as I read these readings today... I want to say, let us wait on the Lord with humility in these days. May we know a renewal of the Holy Spirit to restore our church, yes, but more importantly, to restore our land. And I encourage you, the next time you're very quick to criticize those who lead us, perhaps we need to switch to prayer instead. And I want to lead us in a prayer now. Patient and gracious God, save us from pride and self-reliance and help us to move from the scarcity of these days to the abundance of your promises. And we pray that you will lead us to what is good through prayer, repentance, and humble, loving, and obedient service. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.